The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Boodle Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is all one of the only our guest host for this week, Laura Jameson. Say hi, Laura. Hey. How you doing today, sweetheart? I'm good. All I'm right. Good. I want to mention to everybody that uh, since I'm diabetic, Laura did something that's pretty badass. In my kitchen right now, I have a sugar-free fucking cheesecake. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so excited to eat this thing. Seriously, I could almost masturbate thinking about that cheesecake that's in there. That's good. That's some good shit. Because I'm totally a foodie, man. Yes. I'm fat for a reason. It's not because I don't fucking eat. Yes. And I haven't been able to eat cheesecakes and shit like that. Well, I can, but then it fucks up my blood sugar levels and everything like that. But So, rock on. All right. So, today, you get to do part two of Larry and Danny Reigns. And I think they're out of Switzerland, right? I think that's what I was. They're out of Michigan. Michigan. I heard something about Switzerland. So their their inspiration, the inspiration that the author was. Yeah. So we'll do a quick quick recap of last week. Uh, Last week we began the saga of the Reigns brothers, Danny and Larry, two brothers from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Were only one year apart in age, with Danny being the oldest. And the remarkable thing about this case is how it seems to be the only case in recorded history where two siblings who were raised in the same household and grew up, they both grew up to be serial killers. Um, Each brother's crime spree occurred separate from the other, and their modus operandi was completely different. In fact, I would call this a Twisted Tuesday within a Twisted Tuesday. The reason I say that is because although Larry carried out his crimes single-handedly, Danny had a partner when he committed his crimes. In last week's Twisted Tuesday episode, we began with the murder spree of Larry Rains. His murder spree lasted only one month, April to May of 1964, but the killings happened in different states. He confessed to murdering five people. However, law enforcement officials decided to only charge him with one murder, and they held off on other charges in case the first one fell through. On September 29, 1964, Larry's trial for the murder of Gary Smock began in Michigan. Nine days later, the jury returned from deliberation to reveal that they found him guilty of the murder. Approximately two weeks later, on October 23rd, the judge sentenced him to life in prison without parole. And immediately after sentencing... Larry filed an appeal and was granted a new trial. In his second trial, he once again employed the not-guilty-by-reason-of-insanity strategy. When he realized it wasn't going well for him, he negotiated a plea bargain with the prosecution. One issue stipulated in the agreement was that if he pled guilty to all charges, he would be allowed to legally change his name. Because you wouldn't want anybody to know you did all that fucked-up shit. But he changes to something cool. Because I'm still thinking about Arfin. You should change it. It's better than that. I hope so. Literally, you can name yourself Dipshit McGillicuddy. And it's better than Arnfin. It's better than Arfin. Yeah. I mean, give me a break, man. People just look at you and go, no, you're just fucking nuts. People look at somebody like Arfin going, your parents didn't like you, huh? Like, they wanted an abortion but couldn't get one. That's what This is how they punished you. That's how they punished you. It's your fault. So, inspiration for a new identity. Larry had read Herman Hesse's novel in 1967. As he read the words of Hesse, he found himself relating to the main character, Harry Holler, 
At the beginning of the novel, Holler found himself in a state of despair, and he felt separated from a world he no longer understood. Due to the inner turmoil Holler was experiencing, he contemplated ending his own life and had made the decision to do just that. Before he could follow through with the act, he was seduced by the charm of a hedonistic young woman. Hedonistic. I know somebody like that. <laughs> she lured me in with she lured me in with her giant boobs. Yeah. That's well, what I mean, happened. Shortly after their meeting, Holler started living a lifestyle of sensuality. He didn't hesitate to freely indulge in everything this new life had to offer, and he began to experience the feelings of joy in his life again. However, he was also aware that he was losing touch with his spirituality. Larry related to the idea that each individual was comprised of numerous selves. People can and usually do pass through multiple forms of themselves on their journey through life. After all, every individual grows, matures, adapts, and overcomes at various points throughout their existence. Everything in life is about making compromises, and each person has more than one chance to get things right. With all of this as an inspiration, Larry decided to change his name to Monk Steppenwolf. Yeah. You know what? You thought Arnfin was bad? Get your murder on in. Yeah. yeah. Stab him in the eyeball. <laughs> Kick him in the nuts. Get arrested again. <laughs> that is fucking awesome. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. I can't take this. It's some good me. stuff. Um, he thought maybe by adopting a new identity in his mind that he'd found a way to separate his new self from his old self, who went around killing people for no other reason but to acquire a couple of dollars here and there. Now that's where... Now that we're all caught up, let's talk about Danny Rains and the crimes he committed with a friend of his, Brent Coster. Around the time Larry changed his identity, his older brother Danny was embarking on his journey of murder and mayhem. Last week, we talked about the pent-up anger Larry had towards the world... As it so happens, people who knew the brothers described how Danny had the same pent-up rage his little brother possessed. Gee, I wonder why. They come from the same place. Most of their anger was the direct result of the abuse their father had put all the Reigns children through. There was a total of four children in the Reigns family, with Danny and Larry being the two siblings in the middle of the birth order. The oldest and the youngest siblings were both girls. Little is known about what happened to them. Well, except for the fact that all four of the Reigns' children were raised in Kalamazoo. Danny and Larry's father was a raging alcoholic, and the more he drank, the meaner he became. Surprise, surprise. All four children learned at an early age that when Dad picked up the bottle, it wouldn't be long before the abuse would begin. I never could understand being a mean alcoholic. Like, seriously, when I get plowed, I'm... I love Not everybody. Me. Yeah, I fucking, I can see the biggest asshole that I know. I'm like, dude, it's okay. You're a good guy. I mean, that's, just, that's understood. I right. say I'm going to whoop someone's fucking ass. And apparently he didn't have to consume a whole lot of alcohol before he started inflicting physical abuse on whichever child happened to be closest to him. Throughout their young lives, each of the four Reigns children had taken their share of the abuse their father regularly doled out. Then in 1954, their father chose to move to Florida 
and become Florida man (laughs) after he decided to just walk out on his family. I know what happened now. (laughs) I can see it. Right. He's an alcoholic, okay, and he moved to Florida, but he takes off his shirt and he either fights or fucks a tree. Because, God damn it, it's like a lawn Florida. You can't fight or fuck a tree unless you're shirtless. Always. Then the cops just look and go, no, that's fine. You're good. It's all right. Yeah. That's legal. You have your shirt off, sir. You're you're intoxicated. And you live in Florida. So, We expect this. You kind of expected it. It's not a big deal. We're going to get some coffee and donuts now. We're good. (laughs) He decided he didn't want the responsibility of supporting a wife and four children anymore. So after Danny and Larry's father moved to Florida, he quickly settled in to his new life. I wasn't able to determine where in Florida, so I'm going to just assume it was Jacksonville for obvious reasons. <laughs> That's where I always assume everything happens. To me, every somebody can tell me, in Fort Myers, Florida, a man humped a beaver or you know that he had as a pet. I mean, no, he's from Jacksonville. He's from Jacksonville. It's always from Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't long before he found a new woman and a new job working at a fuel as a fuel station attendant. Because I aspire to move to Florida and work at a gas station. Ah, living the dream. Right. Living the dream. When their father abandoned the family, Danny was 10 years old and Larry was 9 years old. However, their relatively young psyche had already been damaged. After all, since birth, the only male influence the children had had in the house was an abusive alcoholic. Yeah, my dad was abusive, but he just wasn't an alcoholic. He was just an asshole. <laughs> he has no excuse then. No, no excuse. That's what I was wondering when I was growing up. Like when I was in college taking psychology, you know, psychology classes and reading about abuse and things like that. I said, huh, my dad was just a dick. My dad didn't drink. So, I mean, fuck, man. If you were a druggie or an alky, I'd be like, yeah, that's why. Yeah. No, he's just an asshole. The only behavior he modeled for them was that in a person's journey through life, the only way to survive and succeed was to be violent with those around them. When I learned this, I wasn't shocked to find out that the two brothers frequently got into physical altercations with each other when their frustrations were running high. I thought that's just what brothers did. That's what I thought, too, because like me and my brother, Phil, we got into a lot of physical altercations. (laughs) My brother is almost seven years younger than I am. So someone had to teach him how to fight. So we have a we have two stepbrothers, Bobby and Clint. We used to make him pray to the toilet god. Oh god! Or Santa wouldn't bring him any oh, toys. Oh yeah, we've done that to him. We used to stick dog on him. My motto was always nobody, nobody beats up my little brother except for me. I'm I the thought, only one who gets to do that. I'll, I thought that too. Until I'll go after anybody else who does it to him. But Phil used to pick fights with the biggest dudes in high school, dude. And, and I didn't know he was picking them because I was beating the shit out of people until his buddy Russ came to me and said, dude, you got to watch this shit. This is what Phil's actually doing. This big black guy, man. He's like a quarterback or not a quarterback, like a linebacker or something for the football team. And Phil's, you know, saying racial slurs. And this guy comes up. The guy's name is uh, Leroy something or other. I go, dude, you're going to kick my brother's ass. Yeah, I'm going to kick his ass. Hey, Phil, see you at home, buddy. He beat me home and I had a car. He was like, shit, it's not working anymore. Yeah, I told him, dude, I, I will let people beat the shit out of you from now on because you're just being a dickhead. Yes. So, for instance, one of the most common issues they fought over seems pretty petty by today's standards. If either Danny or Larry had just a small amount of change, and I'm talking a few cents, the one who wanted it would beat the snot out of the one who had it. Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah. I thought Phil and I fought over stupid shit, but no, they got me beat. 
I can somewhat relate to their issue. I remember a time, or rather Tammy remembers a time, (laughs) when I would have just 50 cents in my pocket and I felt as if I were rich. After all, I could make five phone calls at a payphone or buy 50 pieces of candy. The possibilities seemed endless and my biggest problem was deciding when and where I wanted to spend it. Every time my family went to the beach for the day, my mom would give each of us kids a dollar to spend on whatever we wanted to buy, and sometimes she was really generous and gave us two dollars. If you've ever been to Seaside, Lincoln City, or Newport as a small child, especially back in the late 70s and early 80s, you'll relate to what I'm about to say. With everything available in each of those locations that a child could buy with one to two dollars, there were many times I didn't spend any of it. Mostly because I didn't want to be out of money when we went to the next store. That makes sense. After all, there might be something I wanted in the other location more than what I just bought at the previous one. Since my stepfather, an angry, abusive man, was generally always with us, the idea of backtracking to one of the earlier stores was unheard of. My father wouldn't go for that either. Except if for whatever reason he wanted to go back for himself. He would never agree to do it when my sister or I or my little brother asked if we could. And the scroll actually worked that time. I remember a time when I read the same paragraph again. Competing over more than mere pocket change. Danny and Larry were both in high school during the early 60s. By then they'd found more important things to compete over than pocket change. In fact, they started fighting with each other over the attention of a girl named Kathy. Soon they were getting into arguments and fist fights over which of them would be taking Kathy out on a date. Boy, what? I want to take her out on a date. What a choice there. Hey, Kathy, sweetheart, give me a call, honey. Yeah. If you think serial killers are awesome. And plus, she's got to be old as shit by now because I saw their pictures. Yeah. That's in my dating pool right there. (laughs) That's right. Come here, Grandma. (laughs) Sit up on my lap, honey. I got Geritol and good times for you. Oh, God. The bizarre thing is that Larry was already involved with another woman. Four years after their father walked out in 1958, 13-year-old Larry met his 23-year-old neighbor, Sue. Even though she was still really young, even by today's standards, she was already the single mother of three small children. How old was she? 23. Huh, okay. <clears throat> you, know, you know what that tells me? She puts she out. She puts out, yeah. yeah. Damn right, man. Yep. I don't even have to take her to a nice dinner. It's just fucking like maybe some McDonald's chicken nuggets or something. We're gone. Yeah, no, I don't eat McDonald's because that's disgusting. Yeah, no. <laughs> Over the next few years, despite the fact that Sue had three children, Larry fell in love with her. The young teenager and his much older neighbor began having a romantic and sexual relationship with one another. Therefore, when Danny and Larry both started dating Kathy, Larry was actually dating two girls. As a young teenage boy, he was struggling to balance, stud, right? Yeah. Balance his academics with the pressure of keeping two females happy. So you must know that's difficult. <laughs> I wasn't even going to say nothing about that. Yeah. <laughs> In 1962, when Larry was only a sophomore in his sophomore year, he decided to drop out of school altogether, and that's when he shifted his focus to a life of crime. This decision soon got him arrested, and the district attorney presented him with an ultimatum. Larry had a choice. Either go to jail 
or enlist in the United States Army. Surprise! He chose to join the Army. Before Danny and Kathy graduated high school, he proposed to her and she accepted. During the time they were married, the couple had two children together. Now the older brother turns to a life of crime. Danny graduated from high school in June of 1964 and he married Kathy shortly after that. Then, when Larry was forced to join the army, Danny began to change, and not for the better. Because now he's on his own. Well, yeah, it makes sense, man. He and Kathy were getting into arguments on a regular basis, often without any specific reason. Reports also indicated that his sexual behavior had also taken a dark turn. It all came to a head towards the end of 1968. In November of 1968, Danny encountered 18-year-old Dorothy King in Battle Creek, Michigan. Hey, little girl. (laughs) Why'd you get into my truck? (laughs) Got some candy. (laughs) Battle Creek is approximately 27 miles east of Kalamazoo via I-94 East. Little to the right of the second knuckle on the left side of the hand. Well, not when you're blowing your nose. (laughs) Kinky. <laughs> Thank you first. <laughs> That's when he carjacked her at gunpoint. Once Danny was behind the wheel of her car, he had every intention of driving her to the outskirts of town. After he had her in a more secluded area, he planned on raping the teenager. See, Danny, that's no way to get a second date, buddy. Right? You're raping, you're carjacking. I'm pretty sure she's not going to call you. Pretty sure. <laughs> All Danny's plans went out the window when he happened to take a wrong turn near the Kellogg Community College campus. That was when Dorothy was able to escape both the vehicle and him. And once she had gotten away from him, he quickly got rid of the gun and fled the area. Dorothy went straight to the police to report the incident. It didn't take long for the authorities to locate Danny's vehicle, which was sitting in the parking lot of the pharmacy where the girl was working that night, because maybe he thought he would get a second date. (laughs) You're a smart one, Danny. Right? Can I be like you? (laughs) It was also the same place he initiated the attack. (laughs) Smart. SMRT, that is me. (laughs) Soon, law enforcement officials were able to apprehend Danny, and they took him down to the station for questioning. And on the way, they looked at him and said, you realize you're a moron, you're right? You're a fucking idiot, yeah. Like you're, that's, we've seen some stupid criminals there, Danny, but, but you, Come on, yeah. You, sir, you take the, the cake. <laughs> um, while he was there, Dorothy was brought in and positively identified him as her attacker. And at that point, he was arrested and charged with assault. Surprise. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. In April of 1969, Danny went to trial, and the jury found him guilty, and the judge sentenced him to serve four years in prison. While he was still locked up, Kathy filed for and was granted a divorce. Good going, Kathy. Actually, I I admire that. Yeah. You're not like, stand by your man and and going, he was wrongfully accused. Like, no, this this dude's a piece of shit. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. However, that's not the last we're going to hear from Kathy in this saga. Did she become a serial killer, too? Just of guys named Danny. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Daniel. Do you go oh. by Danny? Yes. Die! <laughs> You'll do. 
Not your day, Danny boy. <laughs> Danny was granted parole on February 17th of 1972. And upon his release, he went straight back to his hometown and got a job working as a gas station operator, which seems to be the profession that runs in the family. He's just a small-town girl living in a lonely world. That's, what, that's what's going on there. He's a professional gas station attendant. Yes. It's a real job, really. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on a life's journey, a soul journey, of being the best gas-pumping gas attendant that there is. Jesus Christ. Don't you have to pump? You have to pump your own gas in Michigan, so he's not even doing that. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe he did, like, they had the full service That's true. Thing, you know? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. He has to wash windows. Yeah. Check oil and try not to rape anybody. Right. And, or car no carjacking, yeah. which has got to be hard. It's got to be really tempting working at a gas station. I can just see him talking to his parole officer, and I almost carjacked him. I didn't. I did. So I really close, wanted to. <laughs> so it was around that time that he met 15 year old Brent Eugene Coster, who was a young vagrant. Brent was also from the Kalamazoo area, and reports indicate his home life was less than ideal. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother was a diagnosed schizophrenic. Kind of see a pattern going on here. Yeah. Therefore, I wasn't surprised to discover that he had a troubled childhood. Once Danny and Brent became acquainted, the older man decided to take the teenager under his wing, and he arranged for Brent to live in the trailer of one of his girlfriends. Then he helped the kid find a steady job. And then he said... Come with me. I will teach you how to use the force as a gas station attendant. This is the way. This is the way. (laughs) (laughs) How sad is it? Seriously, if you're not even a gas station attendant, you're like an assistant or apprentice gas station attendant. That's, geez. And nothing against the people who pump our gas over there when I go over to Oregon. Yeah. But still, man, it's. Can't be a fucking life journey. Like, oh, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just that's running through my fucking head now. See, they're orphaning it up too. Yes, yes they I'm are. Using orphan it as much as I can as possible. I am just loving that now. Brent had never had a real a, a role model, a male role model in his life worth looking up to, and he was still at an influenceable age. Someday I'll be able to pump gas and clean windows, too. And maybe even check the oil. <laughs> he obviously had no idea who he was dealing with. He was daring to dream, man. Right? So when Danny started helping him out and giving him the attention he was desperate for, Brent began to admire the man and looked up to him as a positive influence in his life. Therefore, it's not a big shocker that Danny was able to groom the kid to become a willing accomplice. After all, Brent probably felt indebted to Danny on some level. He's, will you be my dad? That's kind of what that feels like. Daddy, maybe, but not your dad. (laughs) That's fucking weird as shit, because we're almost the same age. Right. (laughs) Although, you're aging way better than (laughs) I am. Much like Dawn, you're aging like a fine wine. Oh, thank you. I'm aging like milk. That's what I'm aging like. I'm just hard and curdled. And you smell so much better than that, though. <laughs> I showered this morning. I even... Sorry. Fucking allergies are killing me. That's yeah. why I just took the allergy pills. Yeah. Like, fucking, I even shaved this morning because I was looking like a hobo. 
Like, like I, I looked at myself in the mirror. Go, oh, where's your sign, dude? It's time. Like, what really? You say you'll work for food. What kind of work you want to do there, homie? <laughs> like, let's talk. <laughs> I got five bucks in time. Are you toothless? Come home. Oh God. <laughs> That's. holy shit see the shit you gotta deal with when you're co-hosting with me yeah i love it i love it all the fucking time (laughs) deep breath (sighs) okay yes so returning to criminal behavior with a vengeance most of the following details were provided by Brent after the two of them were arrested for murder. According to Brent, Danny was out of prison for less than a month before he committed another crime. Apparently, when he and Brent became friends, he showed the kid exactly where the crime took place. It was at the east side of a local store. Because you always want a, a witness. I mean, right? You know, I was making fun of him being stupid before, but... Yeah, I don't even have words, words for that. For that. Level. Yeah, that is a. You know who he would get along great with? We've talked about Lucas and Tool before. The Beavis and Butthead of serial killing. Yes, that, that's perfect. I think that he's a long lost brother or cousin of one of those two. I would agree. Because I see a whole bunch of stupid. Yeah, a whole bunch. He could have teamed up with Lucas and Tool. That's a trifecta right there. We just keep killing people, and they keep letting us kill them. We don't understand why. Let's just go. That's fucking amazing. And Lucas and Tool met in Florida, in Jacksonville. Of course. That's where they actually met. Of course. So it would have worked out So maybe it was like they had the same father or something like that. Or they were all secret lovers. (laughs) Because Lucas and Tool did like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this. Slap a tickle. A little bit of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime in March of 1972, which is also coincidentally when my crazy soon-to-be ex-wife was born. Ah, uh, I, see, I see some commonalities there, too. Right. Tw- 29-year-old Patricia Hawk. Did you say Hawk or Cock? Hawk. Gotcha. It's It's... The way it's spelled could be that way. Not my fault. I yes. Shit like, like, Dawn will be talking to me on the phone, and I have to ask her what she said. <laughs> she said, well, what did you hear? I heard something like, fuck a chicken over a bridge. It's, no, I said no. I would go to the fridge and get some ice cream. Yes. That's what I said. That's not what I heard at all. Like, and I wish I was exaggerating, but that's the shit that I hear, because she'll mumble. She'll sit there and go, hey, I got to... What? what? Chicken? What? <laughs> Don't fist the chicken. What the fuck is wrong? No, I'm going to the fridge, dude. Oh, okay. No, that, that makes a lot more sense. That's sexy. what happens when you're half deaf. I totally understand. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I've never seen chickens at you guys' house. So I'm thinking she's like going to the barnyard or something and abducting chickens. It's from the homeless people around the corner. That's right. And we know that it can't abduct a chicken because that's no way to get caught. Absolutely no way to get caught. Just saying. Uh, so Patricia went to the store to do some shopping and she had her 17 month old son, Corey with her. And that's when Danny allegedly attacked Patricia with a knife, stabbing her to death. Fucking A, man. Yeah. Not, that right there, seriously, not that's messing a around. Dick move, man. 
She's got a seventeen-year-old kid with her. You fucking seventeen-month old. Seventeen-month-old. So kid. basically, a baby still. Yeah, that's what I meant. Was yeah. Month. I said month in my head, but my mouth but your mouth said year, year <laughs> because I'm half retarded and deaf. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's <laughs> fucked up, man. Doug. He, you know, at least he didn't do anything to Corey. He left the toddler alone. And he was later found walking around aimlessly, but didn't seem to draw anyone's attention. No one thought that was a big deal. He was on a soul journey. Duh. (laughs) He he read the book Stand By Me, and he's like, I'm off to see a dead body. Right, I'm going to go see it. Corey was apparently wandering, wandering around the streets by himself all night. Because according to Brent, Danny told him it wasn't until the next day that an elderly woman noticed the toddler was all alone and she notified the authorities. Apparently that happens a lot in Kalamazoo then, I guess, in the Jesus 70s. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. Like, I don't, I, like if, if I see a toddler out on my street today, like right now, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna calling look, the fucking cops. Yeah. Like, I might look up and down the road and go, dude, where the fuck where are your parents? Where are your parents? Yeah. But if he just gives me that blank retard stare or something, I'm, I'm calling I'm the cops. I'm calling the cops, yeah. That's, that's gets you off the street. You can't be out here boozing and shooting up drugs, whatever the fuck toddlers do. <laughs> You're way too young toddlers. for that. Because those little <laughs> bastards get into Everything. everything. Everything, and it doesn't matter whose kid my kids did. Fucking everybody's kids do. Yes. You know what the scariest sound is when a toddler's in your house? Silence. Silence? Yes. Oh, yeah, because you'll get that as a parent the first time that happens. For those like, of you that don't have kids. What are you doing? You'll be sitting there going, oh, wow, it's finally quiet in here. This is great. I'm going to read a book. Of, wait, wait a, a minute. minute. <laughs> What's that little fucker up to? Yeah. Because it's too quiet. And sure as shit, they like got a, a satanic altar set up. They sacrificed two goats. You know, whatever the fuck toddlers do. They do some weird shit, man. <laughs> They sold your car, presume the cops are at your goddamn door, going, look, he owes a $50 bar tap, and he stole the cop car. It must be your kid, Scott, because we know your history. Keep him. <laughs> Can you keep him? Uh-uh. Keep him overnight. <laughs> no, no. He, that's, that's not same, same. That's not same, same. He goes home with you, He goes fucker. home with you. The next part is documented, so the information's more reliable. <laughs> When the police responded to the report of a toddler being out on his own, they noticed right away that he had blood all over him. So he was wandering around covered in blood. Good job, Kalamazoo. Yeah. Hey, there's a toddler with blood all over him. You know what? That's but a normal I, thing. Like, I'm late to work. Yeah, I can't really I'm, I'm stop I'm late to for work. That. He probably just is. He's walking home from a bar. You know, normal. Fight. Normal. You Kids never know. Five bucks yeah. for, for your bar tab? Oh, no? Okay. No, just you got blood on you. Just letting you know that. He's like, yeah, I know, motherfucker. I know. So they decided to search the surrounding areas for his parents. Finally, apparently it didn't take long for them to find Patricia's body lying on the ground in the back of the independent elevator company building in town. Probably followed the big trail of blood that everybody walked by. With his little footprints. Yeah, little bloody toddlers, (laughs) a bunch of blood leading all the way back to the back of this building. Hey, Margaret, Margaret. What do you think? I think. think? Oh, we should go out for drinks? Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's go. That's way better. More better. That's way more better. When Patricia and Corey didn't return home from their shopping trip the day before, her husband became worried. As the hours went by and there was still no word from from her or, or sign of her, he called the police and filed a missing person report. What the fuck is wrong with Kalamazoo? Like, seriously. Because, like, if anybody, anybody that I've ever seen or been married to, because I've been married a ton of times... <laughs> If they go to, like, let's say they're going to go to the store. Hey, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to get some eggs and some bread and some milk. and, and I'll be know, back. and I'll be back in, like, an hour. Yeah. Two hours later, nothing's happening. 
I'm going to wonder where you are. I'm a little fucking worried. Yeah. You know, not the, not the next day. I'm not going to wake up in the morning. <laughs> Shit. Oh, damn, they never came rest. home. That's pretty damn yeah. good. Hey, she hasn't come back with the kid. I oh. know this because my breakfast isn't ready. Yeah, my <laughs> breakfast isn't ready. The coffee pot's <laughs> off a damn cold. Yes. Well, God damn it. No, I'm going to notice in the next couple of hours, you know? Yeah. Why? Too fucking quiet when you have a toddler. That's yes. why. <laughs> so once the authorities found her corpse behind the building, they noticed that she didn't have her billfold on her. And for that reason, they assumed that robbery was the motive for her murder. No, the kid took it, man. We, I told you, he went to the bar. He had to do something. He had to do something. Maybe I've seen some bad shit. I feel like a, I need a, a drink. Vent, <laughs> that I need a fucking drink. Yeah. Bartender. Bartender, shot Hit a red me. eye right yeah. now. <laughs> According to Brent, he and Danny became friends within a few days of this incident. Uh, once a camaraderie was formed between the two of them, Danny didn't hesitate to brag about how he'd murdered Patricia. Apparently, he was just dying to tell someone about what he was getting away with. I am so downloading more fucking effects. Put fucking <laughs> bump in there. Yes. Brent later told the authorities that Danny told him he'd spotted Patricia when she went into a department store called Tops. She piqued his interest so much. Like a gay bar. That <laughs> Tops and Bottoms? Yeah, that's like Tops and Bottoms. Yeah. She piqued his interest so much that he decided to park his blue Corvair van beside her car and just wait for her to come back out. Apparently, you weren't told at that point to seriously watch out for panel vans. You know... I don't even feel bad for her. And I'll tell you why. Much like Lucas and Tool, I'm listening to how stupid this dude is. How dumb do you got to be to like walk out and go, there's a creepy guy in a van right there. He was there watching me the whole time. And, and now he's still there. You know what? That's not bad. Let's just go. Come on, little child of mine. How it's, dumb do you got to be to fucking do that? It's calling the herd. It's this is true because, like, seriously, I'm a big dude. I think I'm, I got some toughness in me. If I come out and some dude is parked next to my pickup truck and still in a van, yeah, and he's kind of giving me the eye, like the I'm look, watching you yeah, ball man, yeah. all right there. I'm gonna be like, mm, not today, motherfucker. I'm going back into Walmart. That's what I'm doing. I'd be like, dude, you got to call the cops. Why? Freaky ass motherfuckers out there. Yeah, he's giving me, he's giving he's me, he's looking eye. at me. He's, he's giving me that. I'm gonna kill you, rape you, or both, both. At the same time. In either order. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I might kill you first and then rape you. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And he creeps me up. That's what's happening. He's creeping me up. Yeah. So Danny told Brent that he sat in this van for over an hour waiting for Patricia to return to her car. She immediately went to the passenger side to, to put Corey in the vehicle. Then as she walked to the driver's side where he had parked the van, Danny got out. He approached her wielding a knife. When Patricia saw the man behind her was carrying a knife, she panicked and fell under the driver's seat of her car like a cliche scary movie. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. The same thing I've always said like about the, all the Friday the 13th movies. It's awful dark in there. Billy, is that you? God, you yeah, not right. scare me. Oh, the yeah. lights aren't working. Okay. I'm coming inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I hear... Is anyone hiding there in the dark? I- Billy, is that you hiding in the dark with a great big hatchet? Like you're going to kill me with a hockey mask on? That's right. not funny. Yeah, that's a, it's the same fucking thing. She's, she is a cliche from a fucking She's an movie. idiot, yeah. Jesus Christ. You're right, calling the herd, man. Yep. I'm just hoping that poor little Corey 
learned a lesson from that and got, you know what, I'm not going to be dumb as this motherfucker. Or like my dad, like a day later going, hey, where the fuck's my wife and my kid? Yeah. He quickly yanked her up out of the vehicle and shoved her into his van. Once he had her inside, he tied her up and he, you guessed it, yes, he raped her. When he was finished and while her hands were still bound together in front of her, he made her move towards the front. Apparently, Danny decided that he was going to kill Patricia. Probably because he knew that she'd seen his face and he'd already done time in prison after one of his victims positively identified him. Even though probably half the people in Tops could identify him because he sat there for an hour. Right. And he didn't look like the bottoms, so he didn't quite fit in. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, not that way, man. I rape women, not men. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Had a penetrating gaze. What kind do I want? Yes. Regular. These the, are intense The kind that questions. made him sick this morning. I'll take some of that. <laughs> That's why we have regular creamers for Thank them. You. The non-diabetics. Yes. The, the people who didn't fuck up their goddamn insulin receptors. I have other fucked up gut problems. So. That's true. That's true. I, you, you've got a problem that I'm deathly afraid of. Yeah. Because I can see what would happen when I'm driving down the road. That would just. And I can tell you everyone who has this has that story. Oh, I bet, man. Yeah. That actually happened to me. Like, okay, because we, we all know that I survived lung cancer. Yeah. And I probably shouldn't be smoking anyway. But um, No. So when my immune system was just going to shit before I was diagnosed, I actually had to plan my trips by where the bathrooms are. That's been my whole life. Oh, God. That's fucking miserable. Yes, it is. Like, I would go before I left, and yep. then I'd be like, okay, I can make it like, from here to Troutdale. I know then, every single place along the way where I can stop oh, and use the bathroom. God damn. It would, and Imodium would not take care of it. Like, I could eat a box of Imodium in my... I have prescription strength Imodium. Get the fuck yeah. out. Thank you, which I took today because I knew I was going to have this cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your doctor prescription Imodium yeah. is right for you. Yes. Give you like coffee. <laughs> yeah. Because that will turn me into a windsock without Imodium. I will applaud. Like, seriously, <laughs> if you get that sucker going, you can play a tune. I'll be like, yeah! It's that like, was an E minor, wasn't it? You did that in E minor. It's like letting a balloon go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Wait a minute, did you just play a 12-bar blues in A flat? That's awesome. God dang, that's I mean, good. I've had 40 years to perfect it, so. I admired the triplets you put in there. <laughs> Fucked up, Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to hell for this shit. I'll see you there. We've got a place saved. So, because he'd gone to prison already, he had to kill her. That's just how it had to be. So I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. He, so he said that he tried choking her to death, but it didn't work. Because <laughs> you have to pay extra for that when you're in Thailand. I'm just saying. you got to pay extra if you want some choking going on. Yeah. Despite the fact that her hands were still tied together, the adrenaline-filled mother of a young child fought hard against her attacker, even though she didn't pay any attention before being toddler. pulled into a van. That's <clears throat> so no, nobody. Pay, that's what's getting me because you're you're a woman. You got your toddler with you, and all this is going down in front of this place, and nobody fucking sees it. Yeah. 
Nobody. With Nobody's two paying attention. Conspicuous fucking vehicles. A right woman next to each t- other. And I'm pretty sure the toddler, little Corey's not sitting there going, oh, hey, somebody's He's trying screaming. to fuck up my mom. This is normal. I'm, no problem. I'm just going to chill. Yeah. The, Jesus Christ. We can't ever go to Michigan. That, the, the level of stupidity. <laughs> Between that and people holding up their hand, where are you from? Here. And pointing to their palm. Have you seen that shit? Yes. Yeah. That's too, where are you from? In the Uber. <laughs> No, you don't do that. You just That's, give me the fucking town. Tell me where. Yeah. yeah okay. You give me a location. Like, where are you from? Are you from like uh, Detroit? Right. You know, where are you from? Don't point your fucking hand because I don't know. I don't where know what that means. I don't live there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't live. I, I never lived in fucking Michigan. I don't I'm never know going to live in Michigan. No. 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 no, no. For multitude of yeah. reasons, this being one of them, yes. the level of stupidity. <clears throat> it's like a disease. I don't want to rub off on. <laughs> Because you can't get inoculated for that shit. No. Once it's in you, it's in you. <laughs> I told the girl that once, actually. There ain't no going back now. No. <laughs> so, during Patricia's struggle to survive and keep her child safe, she managed to get some good shots in. And was even able to scratch Danny's face pretty well. She I thought f- her hands were tied behind her back. They were tied in front. Oh, in front. Oh, okay. In front. Then <clears throat> okay. I misunderstood Because he's that. an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I love this guy, Danny. God damn. <laughs> she fought against him so hard that they both fell out of the van and wound up on the ground between the two vehicles. And still nobody noticed Nobody this. saw this. Jesus Christ, man. At that point, Danny gave up his effort to strangle Patricia and decided to just stab her with his knife instead. Good call. That's yeah. a good call. The knife went into her back. However, according to him, it didn't seem to have much effect. Then when he decided to twist the knife hard because he knew the action would cause more damage, he told Brent, that did it. And she stopped struggling. <laughs> Jesus. You know, they make fun of people from the South, but I think that everybody is ignoring Michigan. Yes. <laughs> ignoring it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, it's because it's so cold there. It's not their fault. Yeah, it is. Stupidity, that's like a fucking disease. And this dude, he's plagued he's with it. He's full of it, yeah. When... <laughs> When Patricia was doing her best to fight Danny off, Cody had managed to get out of the car, and Danny saw that he was standing next to the van just crying. Cody or Corey? Because I thought you said Corey at first. Oh, it's a typo. It is. It's Corey. Okay. We changed from Corey to Cody halfway through, so... Oh, hey, man. People can change their genders. He can change his name. He can change his name. Yeah, that it did. Whatever. Yeah, like, you change your name to Stephen, uh, Stephen Wolf, so fuck yeah. Yeah. What was his first name? It was... Oh, it started with an what M. What first name was for that dude when he changed it? Something Steppenwolf. Monk. Monk, that was it. Monk Steppenwolf. Yeah, so if you can change your name to Monk Steppenwolf, you know, I'm sure... You can go can from Corey to Cody. Yeah. yeah. Easy. No problem. <clears throat> this is amazing. <laughs> the, the man thought since the child was so young, he wouldn't be able to tell anyone especially the police, about what had happened. So he decided he'd just leave the boy next to his dying mother. Take care of your mom, kid. I'm out of here. I'm out. As Danny got into the driver's seat of his van, he noticed that Patricia had finally stopped moving, so he figured she was dead. 
about goddamn time. There she is causing a big old ruckus. Nobody's coming out. Nobody's coming to look. In my head, I mean, it's got to be a busier place. People got to be passing going, you know what? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Kid, take care of your mom. I don't want to be involved. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. According to what Brent later told the police, after Danny told him what had happened, he couldn't stop bragging about how well everything had turned out. That's when he made the suggestion that the two of them team up and kill someone together. Flay a mom. That's what that is. Like a flay of fish. But yes. Different because it has a toddler. Only on Fridays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe she needs to wash that. I'm just saying, if it's a flay of fish, she needs uh, maybe a little bath bath. God. Lys- a Lysol douche. It's just a little bit of Lysol. That might help. That her is out. what that was created for originally. That's what you were telling me. Yes. Holy shit. I can't imagine because, like, I accidentally, I was spraying, like, Lysol in the air once. I got a little bit in my eye. Yeah. And it wasn't much. It was like, I felt like one little speck. And that's a tiny mucus membrane. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> my eyes all, fuck you. I can't imagine putting that in like the JJ. I burned three layers of skin off and all the feeling, but it's clean. Oh, damn. I can't imagine being a guy after a chick is done that. I go, all right, we're ready to go. Oh, is that fresh linen? That's awesome. Let's do this. That's going to be no bueno, man. That's going to get in your pee hole. Yeah. And that's not going to feel very comfortable at no. all. Maybe that's you like a, the burning. I don't know. I mean, everybody's got stuff. their thing. i got a story about that because I share personal stories about my life. So I was dating this girl named Autumn. She got a bunch of these samplers of different kinds of, like, you know, oils and things like that for, for yeah. snacks, which yeah. is great lubes. What we didn't know is that one of them was lube. The rest of them were massage oils. Oh. Because apparently we couldn't read. And one started heating up. Them. That's kind of hot. I kind of like that. They got a little hotter. <laughs> That's a little uncomfortable. And by the end, I'm sitting there going, get the fire extinguisher. You're I think like, we're going to start die. a fire. Here yeah. and she's like, "Me too. This sucks." I've never, <laughs> yeah, great balls of fire. Yes, totally. So we both we run into the shower and we're trying to wash this stuff off. I'm crying like a little girl. Not as bad as when I got Flexol 454 on my dick. Oh, yeah. I got Ben Gay in my eye. That was fun once. Talking Damn, about crying. Pull out. Yeah, but um. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ, here he is talking about getting cum in my eye. Like That's disgusting. What a peg. No, so, the, the Flexol story. I, uh, so, I used to rock climb. And when my grandma was alive, I pulled the muscle in my back. She said, yeah. put some of this on your back. You'll be okay. I said, okay, cool. She does, and it does. It clears it up. Right. Well, I'm going to the gym every day. This is when I was in shape. And I pulled the muscle in my abs. So, I go home. I go, Flexol on the ab- abs. You'll be okay. But then I was sweating. And what happens? Gravity happens. That's yeah. what happens. And it got onto the top of my pecker. Ooh. Now I'm jumping in the shower, which is, by the way, if that ever happens, is a mistake because it's oil-based, and all you're doing is you're spreading the fire. That's all you're doing. Well, and the hot water, like, opens up all your capillaries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like a forest fire down there. And it's all a bush is- fire? Yes. This is before shading and waxing and everything like yeah. that, right? And... All you can do is wait for that shit to burn out. That's yeah. all you can do. Yep. Just I was in that fetal position. Bite like, on this. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, the girls you see after like rape scenes in movies. I'm in the fetal position in the shower, you know. Fuck, I got sad music playing in the back, you know, sitting there going, don't cry like an angel. Yeah. Some shit like that. I'm like, yeah. This is right. God damn it. Yeah. Somebody just shoot me. I've never been more suicidal in my life than that moment. <laughs> 
That was one of those things. I can just grab it, got it, end it all. This is that is some fucking pain. That and yeah, breaking my tailbone has to be the two. I've broken my tailbone too. Isn't that fucked up shit? On vacation, I was coming out of a fire tower in Montana and I slipped on the rock and I landed on, straight on. on it. People go on vacation to fucking. What the fuck is wrong? I was with, with my parents. This was my father's idea. All right, your dad had a because there's idea. a good view. It's a really great view. Okay, no, okay, so, I'll give it that. Yeah, I, just, I can't imagine as a kid going. I want to go to the fire tower, Dad. No, not unless we're going to watch a fire. That would be different. <laughs> Who are you burning? Danny Rains? Yeah. <laughs> Light it up. Hold on, I got beers and popcorn. <clears throat> I spent the rest of the vacation on my stomach. I couldn't sit. Ooh, yeah. I couldn't lay on my back. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I can relate, man. Yeah. I know. I know that pain. Yeah. And all oh, the yes. 90s, like, rollerblading all the times I had mm. fallen already on it. And that just, that was, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk see. about Danny. He said that Danny said Brent could go out. He and Brent could go out, abduct a girl, rape her, uh, take any and all valuables from her, and then kill her. Well, at least he had a plan. And at 15 years old, Brent already stood six foot six, which Jesus was the reason Christ. people called him Stretch. That alone may have been the reason Danny chose him to bring him chose to bring him on as a partner. In fact, one look at the kid, even if the woman was strong enough to fight back, she could easily be subdued by the young giant. Brent told Danny he was willing to give it a try. All right, let, let's do it. Let's do some raping. I mean, it's cool. It's fine. I play baseball, a little bit of football. Raping? That's right on the sports list. Right. After that, the two of them assembled a murder kit. Inside, they included several knives, a roll of trash bags, and lengths of rope. You forgot the duct tape. No kidding. Y'all, for for future serial killers out there, never forget the duct tape. Yeah. Yeah, Come on, guys. Don't be stupid. Be a better fucking killer. Right. And, of course, always make sure you send us an email so that way there we can, uh, you know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go for the fancy shit. Go for some generic shit because they can track the fancy shit back to you. Go to Walmart, get something that just says fucking duct tape. Send somebody else in to buy it also. Yes. Hey, can you go buy me some duct tape? No, it's like alcohol, but I'm not allowed to buy duct tape for some weird reason. Yeah. A hobo. A hobo would do it for like two bucks. Yeah. So, with their kit well stocked, they went out to the van to go cruising for victims. Side note, in the spirit of full disclosure, I have to mention something else about Brent's version of what Danny supposedly told him. Because during one of the trials, Brent said that Danny didn't tell him about killing Patricia until July. By that point, the two had already killed two people. That being said, Brent stated that on one occasion, the two of them decided to park Danny's van in front of a local movie theater. They wound up spending approximately four hours sitting there waiting for an opportunity that never presented itself. Jamie, Christmas. You know, I've been hunting before. I like to hunt. Did they put out any bait or anything? I'm a salt lick. Well, they're they're hunting for women. You could probably get some, you know, cheap ones if you like. Put like if you're in front of like a strip club and you put a pole out there, automatically strippers will grab it and start pole dancing. Right there, you go. There's the bait right there. It's four hours. That's like. Two movies. You could have yeah. watched people go in and come out from two movies by that point. 
Well, we never claimed that Danny was in any way. Smart. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's got an IQ writer, probably right around 70-ish. I would say so. Just yeah. enough to where he's not fully, completely retarded, but goddamn close. Pretty close. <laughs> Uh, however, most of the time, they just drove around in search of any girls or women who happened to be out hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. That was probably a beneficial method, since during that time, a lot of, people's, a lot of people got around by hitchhiking. While Danny and Brent were driving around searching for a victim, they frequently passed time by talking about a common subject with males, sex. <laughs> No. No. I never talk about sex because I read my Bible and pray to Jesus and, you know, because I'm still a virgin. Yeah. yeah. I'm totally a virgin. Um, yeah. Saving myself for marriage. Again. Which one? <laughs> oh, we could talk about my res erection. It was amazing after I quit taking those pills. And, oh, wrong guy. My, my bad. My bad. Yeah. Repeatedly. But after three days, I mean, it took him a long time. I imagine he was flooding. <laughs> because God Things were going to get raw after three days. The three days, I'm pretty sure they were peeling that girl off the wall. Yeah. Stuck alone in a cave. <laughs> he couldn't get out. Now I know what it's like when I do this shit to you. I mean, you're you're taking a drink. That's fucked up. Goddamn almost died. Thanks. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, they occupied their time alone with talk of sex and murdering women. However, according to Brent, Danny was the one who initiated most of these conversations. We talk about this all the time. We're not killing anyone. No kidding. I'm not out there murdering anybody no. today. Right. If I, if I was to murder somebody, it would be my neighbors. I gotta admit it. <laughs> and I've admitted that a thousand times. Yes. Like, and I'm just waiting for the day that the meds aren't working anymore. <laughs> And I hear them screaming from inside their place. I can hear through my walls when I'm in the back of this place. Wow. Yeah. Then I'm just going to lose my shit and go, that's it. Today's Snapped. the day. Prison's yeah. looking good. I'm going to prison. Exactly. Yes. I'm calling, calling you up going, call the tech dude. We got, we got to get rid of three. We've got an emergency. <laughs> Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> So, as the two guys were driving around in search of their first victim together, law enforcement officials were out roaming the streets themselves. Only they like hookers? <laughs> only they weren't searching for a victim. They were on the hunt for a murderer. But no one even saw any anybody murdered in the middle of the day at, at a department store. See, I was so. trying to figure that out because like, when I go hunting... If I'm going hunting for deer, I know what a deer looks like. Yeah. And I know what an elk looks like. Yeah. But if you don't know who the fuck you're looking for, are you stopping? Excuse me, sir. Have you murdered anybody who had a toddler? Yeah. In front of Tops? Yeah. Not the gay bar, but the but the, 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 the store? Yeah. Where'd you, you're not. Okay. No, I believe okay. you. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. Go on your merry way. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. That's, that's ge- good fucking police work there, yes. guys. Great. That's, that's fucking great shit right there. So, could the two crimes possibly be linked together? On May 2nd, 1972, the authorities in nearby Cassopolis, Michigan, responded to a call regarding a triple homicide of a family. Cassopolis is approximately 45 miles southwest of Kalamazoo via I-94 West. Further left on the left hand. (laughs) 
when they arrived at the oh, st- <laughs> yeah when they arrived at the scene of the crime they found some things that had them wondering if this incident was in fact related to the murder of patricia during the investigation detectives were able to piece together the following information at some point during the day or evening of the murder the suspect had managed to tie up timothy roderick and his wife who was nine months pregnant in fact she was so pregnant that she was likely to go into labor at any given moment after the couple's hands and feet were securely bound together their killer slit their throats and the couple's other two children a two-year-old and a three-year-old were witness to the whole event dr william glasser was the medical examiner in charge of performing the autopsies on timothy and his wife During the procedures, he noticed that his murder and the murder of Patricia had some interesting similarities. However, Timothy and his wife had a man living with them around the time of the murders, and the man seemed to have disappeared. Conveniently. Mm -hmm. Since the man was living in the house at the time, it's a foregone conclusion that law enforcement officials wanted to question him. Even though he wasn't family, he was closely tied to the family. Therefore, they had to find out where he was and what he was doing when the murders occurred. When they learned the roommate couldn't be found, he immediately became the prime suspect. Eventually, the man was located in Florida. Hmm. (laughs) I've seen a lot of connectors here. Like, I'm not the smartest man, but I can connect dots. You know, I'm really good at that. Huh, yeah. I I just made the shape. It looks like Florida. That's what it fucking looks like. Yeah. Fucking Florida. So, he was located in Florida, and the police placed him under arrest and detained him for questioning. It didn't take the authorities long to tie him to the triple murder, so they filed charges against him. However, despite their best efforts, the authorities weren't able to make an official link between Patricia's murder and the murder of the Rodericks. And then on July 19th of 1972, some guys were out riding their motorcycles through the woods in the vicinity of Galesburg, Michigan. Is that right here? (laughs) A little to the right. On, on the left hand. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so it's right here. I understand, because, you know, without the hand, you can't describe Michigan, apparently. It's nine miles east even, of Kalamazoo. waxer that does, you know, like my yeah. below, she's from Michigan, and I called her out on it. Yeah, I'm from here. I'm a, there you go. There no, you, you go. Don't, don't ever fucking do that. Yeah. Um, at some point during their ride, they came upon a blue opal cadet that looked as if it had been abandoned. An Opal Cadet was a small, somewhat sporty-looking family car. It was produced by the Opal Manufacturing Company based out of Germany. The Cadet model was first introduced to the public in 1936. It was built with... It was chassisless, huh, unibody construction, and designed specifically for its low-cost, high-volume production. This particular model was taken off the market in 1940. However, Opel re-released the Cadet in 1962, and they were available until the company stopped making them in 1991. Jesus, that was quite a ways. Yeah. So, side note, when the Cadet hit the market in 1936, the commercial technical director for Opel was Heinrich Nordhoff. That's as good. I wonder if he knew all the Jews. (laughs) Decades later, the name Nordhoff became very well known in the automobile industry. This fame was due to his influential leadership role in the development of the Volkswagen Automobile Manufacturing Company. Mm. 
So when the motorcycle riders approached the cadet, they stopped to take a look, and that's when they noticed there were two dead bodies in the back seat, and they looked to be in an advanced stage of decomposition, so they left and contacted the police immediately. Smart. It's, there's some smart people there. Very, very few. few. Yeah. I bet you that, that car probably got passed by 100 people. Probably. And they went like, ah, dead bodies, got places to go. Yeah. The authorities determined that the decomposed bodies belonged to two young females. They were also able to trace the vehicle registration to a man from the Chicago area. With that information, they were able to find out the man had notified the police there to tell him his daughter was missing. The Chicago Police Department had him file a missing persons report. The last time the girl was seen alive, she and her roommate were leaving Chicago to visit her brother in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor is located approximately 98 miles straight east of Kalamazoo via I-94 East, bottom of the thumb area. Oh. Yes. There, yes. Oh, gotcha, okay. I'm starting to learn how where Michigan is now. However, the two girls never arrived at the brother's house. After obtaining the fingerprints of the victims, law enforcement officials learned the victims were 19-year-old Linda Clark and 19-year-old Claudia... Bidstrup. One of them also happened to be the daughter of a police detective with the Chicago Police Department. And daddy didn't figure this shit out. I'm a detective and my daughter's missing, but uh, donuts. (laughs) However, as of yet, I've not been able to determine which girl was the daughter of the vehicle owner and which one was the daughter of the detective. When the medical examiner performed the autopsy, he wasn't able to definitively determine the cause of death. However, considering the remains still had some rope wrapped around their necks, the authorities speculated that they had been strangled to death. Once it was determined that the time of death was more than a week before the remains were discovered, the police felt there was only a slim chance of them being able to find any credible leads. During the investigation of the crime scene, investigators discovered that the gas tank was almost completely full. That told them that the girls had come across their killer close to the area where the vehicle was found. Nowadays, if somebody was to kill them, they would have stole the gas, Gas, too. too. Yep. Fucking expensive shit, man. That's worth more than the cash in their pocket. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, working Mm -hmm. at the gas station. Hmm. They told them that the girls had come across, yeah, close to where the vehicle was found. Therefore, they began searching the immediate area in the hopes of finding a clue. However, it would be approximately seven weeks before they would find anything of value in the case. Gee, many Christmas. So here's what really happened to the girls. On July 5th, while Danny was on duty at the service station (laughs) located on Sprinkle Road... (laughs) <laughs> Linda and Claudia stopped at approximately 1.30 a.m. to get some gas before driving the rest of the way to Ann Arbor. As it also happens, Brent happened to be there visiting with his friend. When the girls pulled in, Brent went over to fill their tanks and Danny popped the hood under the pretense of checking the fluid levels. That's what I call it, too. Yeah. The girls weren't even the slightest bit concerned by this. After all, in that area, nearly every gas station across the country offered customers full service. That included checking the fluid levels of the vehicle and the tire pressure. How full is full service? That's my, because, you know, two guys, two girls, maybe they should have checked some different fluid. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) 
I think they did, just not yet. Ah, well, no, that's true. Hopefully, like, not after they were all decomposed, because that's, that's, that's worse than a bad oil change. Everybody that's has their thing. <laughs> However, <laughs> while Danny was under the hood, he disconnected one of the wires connected to the spark plugs. Then when the girls got back in the car to leave, as they turned the key, it sounded like there was a problem with the car. And he told Linda and Claudia that he'd be more than happy to take a closer look at the car to see if he could fix it for them. I think I've seen a porn start off as that. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, I'll fix your car. I'll fix your car. Honey. Yeah. But I don't have any money. Well, we're That's okay. Yeah. Exactly. I saw that porn. I, I, I'm very familiar with that one. Then he instructed them to pull into the garage bay. For the daughter of a police, a policeman, this girl's not super smart. Well, she's in Michigan, so that automatically deducts it's, about yeah. 30 points from her IQ. Um, however, rather than fix the car, Danny and Brent pulled knives on the two girls. That's when Danny said that if they didn't scream, he and his protege wouldn't harm them. Then he forced them to get into the back seat of the car, and he climbed in behind the wheel and drove the car to behind the station where it wouldn't be seen by anyone passing by. And they had the seclusion of darkness. Because you couldn't just shut a garage door. That's complicated. Doors, levers. I'm pretty sure they looked at it and they got just confused. Like, they were like, I don't know. Which way to... Down? Do we pull... No, uh, up? Side? I'm not... Where's the instruction manual? Like, we need some help. That's yeah. what happened. And there was no good customer service. You could call them up, you know, a customer service agent. Hey, I'm in Michigan. Oh, no, at we totally understand. At 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 1.30 in the morning, you're from Michigan. You're dumb as shit. No, we totally understand. This is how you close a door. Yeah. Brent and Danny quickly bound their wrists with some rope. If a customer happened to pull in, they took turns keeping an eye on the 19-year-olds while the other one went to help whoever stopped by. That way, they wouldn't draw any suspicion of the people who were coming and going. At one point, Brent was standing there watching Danny assault Linda. The older man later told him that while he was away tending to a customer, he had also had his way with Claudia. When Danny was finished raping Linda, Brent made her get into the the uh, van so that he could rape her because it's time to change scenes. It's like wrestling, man. You get, yeah. You get towards the ropes, go, tag me in, tag me in. Yeah, yeah. When Brent exited the van, Danny made Claudia get into the back seat of the car. That's where she was when Brent strangled her at Danny's insistence. According to Brent, Danny made him kill the girl because it was about time for him to taste the medicine. I've used that a few times myself. <laughs> that was, she was a nurse, that's all I gotta say. It's, <laughs> Brent wrapped some rope you okay over there? <laughs> wrapped some rope around Claudia's neck and tried his best to strangle her with it. However, she was fighting for her life and her struggle became too much for him and he couldn't maintain the grip on the rope. That's when Danny jumped in to help him and they both strangled her together. Teamwork, man. Right. That's Makes a the dream experience. work. Uh, yeah. yeah. After Claudia was dead, the two men focused their attention on Linda, <clears throat> who should have taken off while they were killing her friend. I'm glad that you said that. I was just about ready to mention, like, why didn't you run? I'm out. Go, like, you're killing I'm her. Sorry, I'm Claudia, out. but I, I gotta go. Claudia, you're dead already, bitch. I'm gone. <laughs> One of us has to survive to tell the tale here. 
Like I said, Michigan. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Them in Florida. That, they, they, they get my Florida award. That's what they get. They get my fucking Florida. To me, right now, Michigan really sounds like the Jacksonville of the U.S. Um, yes. I would agree. <clears throat> this time, Brent was able to strangle her on his own. With both girls dead, the men wrapped them up in a blanket and placed them in the back of the car in the back seat. Danny reconnected the spark plug wire and his protege drove off with the girls. That's convenient. Brent drove out to the secluded wooded area before he stopped the vehicle on the side of the road. He exited the car and took out a gas can and covered the car with flammable liquid. Before he turned to walk away, he lit a cigarette and placed it on the floorboard of the vehicle. He didn't even wait around to make sure it caught on fire. He just walked back to the main road to hitchhike back to the station. Brent wanted to set the vehicle on fire as a forensic countermeasure to get rid of any incriminating evidence. He watched too many fucking movies. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. He's like, it worked in Barnaby Jones. Yeah. If you don't know who Barnaby Jones is, just Google that shit. It's an old <laughs> fucking TV show because you're too goddamn young and goddamn it, I don't want to explain to you. Not to mention the flames would also make it more difficult to identify who the remains belong to. When he arrived back at the station, Danny brought out everything he had stolen from the girl's belongings. There was money, a pair of earrings, and two rings. He'd also what kind of earrings? <laughs> they might look fabulous. You don't know. They'll, they'll take them back to Tops. That's right. Hey, Tops, I'm here with my earrings. That means I'm the bottom. He'd also taken some photographs Linda and Claudia had with them. When the motorcyclist discovered the car 14 days later, Linda and Claudia's purses were completely empty of anything valuable. For that reason, both the authorities and the press believed robbery had been the motivation and their murder was linked to Patricia's. Other than all three women having no valuables on their person, the methods used to bind them were very similar. However, since Linda and Claudia's remains were in such an advanced stage of decomposition, the medical examiner wasn't able to determine if they had been sexually assaulted or their exact cause of death. Except there was rope around their necks still. Yeah. Yeah. That's natural. That's natural causes right there. That's what that is. That's totally natural. Yeah. So. Sorry. Lost my place. Happens to me. When When law enforcement officials knew for sure. What they knew for sure was that the deaths of Linda and Julia... I huh? think it's Claudia. It's Claudia. People change. People change their names a lot. There, that's I guess. That's true. That is true. It's not Monk Steppenwolf by any means, but, but uh, I respect your changes there. Yeah, the number of deaths over the past eight months in Kalamazoo County alone was up to twelve. Considering they had found the man who was responsible for killing killing the Rodericks. And they had someone in custody for one of the other murders. They still had eight deaths that were unexplainable. However, they would later catch the subject before the next murder occurred. Finally. The next attack takes place one month later. Exactly one month to the day after they raped and murdered Linda and Claudia, Danny and Brent struck again. On August 5th, 1972, they were driving around the vicinity of the Western University campus... That's when they noticed 18-year-old Pamela 
Fernro out trying to thumb a ride. I don't understand why do you not hear on the news all the time? What years? This was this. This is the seventies, and I know it happened all the time. But a lot of hitchhiking. Back then, people, especially women, weren't yet aware that they were putting their lives in danger every time they went out hitchhiking. The concept of a serial killer wasn't even something people knew about. Therefore, it was a common practice among young adults. It was an easier mode of transportation, similar to the to the way Uber and Lyft are today. You told all this time not to get in cars with strangers, and now you just have an app where a stranger pulls up to your house in a car and you get in. And we pay him to do <laughs> and it. to do it, yeah. That's the thing. I'm waiting for it to become like almost like the Craigslist killer thing. Yes. Where an Uber driver is like offing people. <laughs> They've had assaults already. Get the fuck out. Yeah. For real? Yep. I gotta read more news. Jesus Christ. (laughs) The two men pulled over and offered Pamela a ride. Once she was in the vehicle, they pulled out a knife to threaten her and Brent bound her wrists in the back of the van. Once her bindings were secure, he placed a sleeping bag over her and laid down beside her. Well, let's get comfy. Yeah. Campy, campy. Danny drove to a wooded area that surrounded Morrill Lake in Comstock Township. The lake is approximately seven miles east of Kalamazoo via I-94, Business Loop East, and Highway M-96. That seems about right, somewhere well, under... So it's got to be like... Yeah. That, maybe? That seems right. Un- under the under the pointer finger? Yeah, kind of <laughs> under the pointer finger, but like not quite to the thumb. Yeah. So I would think that I-94... Kind of runs up here. Yeah. You know, okay, okay, I'm digging. So once they arrived at their destination, Danny and Brent spent the next six hours taking turns sexually assaulting her multiple times. When they decided they were finally finished, they tied her wrists up again and drove her to another woodland area by the lake. According to Brent, when they arrived at the second location, he and Danny drank some beer and Pamela had a glass of wine they had brought. You could have maybe given that to her first. I'm a little confused. Uh, Yeah. Not the (laughs) smartest man in the world, so please bear with me. They just raped her, raped her multiple times. They cracked a couple of beers, and she's got a nice Merlot. Yeah. After being raped, because that's fucking normal after a rape. Okay, yeah, why not? Why not? It's fucking Michigan. So he claimed that... Before they left the area, she'd actually finished the entire bottle. And I don't blame her. <laughs> no kidding, damn wino. After that, they drove to another area. You want another bottle of wine? Yeah, I'll go with you. Sure, sure. It'll be fun. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Bad wine? <laughs> no wine from a box. Yeah. That's, that's the key here. No fucking wine from the box. When they arrived at the third location, Pamela started to fight them by struggling against her restraints and screaming as loud as she could in the hopes that someone would hear her at the third location this was. Well, okay, I can't blame her because she was a little ahead of her time. BC Boys said you got to fight for your right to party, and they were out of wine. Yes. So, just yes. saying. When Danny told her to shut up and she refused, he punched her as hard as he could in her stomach. And even that didn't put a stop to her attempts to get away from the two men. It probably only made her throw up all over the van. You think? Of course that's not going to stop you. Now, now that's going to uh, exacerbate it. Like, you're, I got to get the fuck out of here. This yeah. dude just hit me in the stomach. Yeah. 
As I was reading the articles and reports about the assault and the murder of Pamela, I came across conflicting accounts of what happened next. Therefore, I'm going to present you with both of them. One said that she drank more wine. The other said tequila. We don't know. (laughs) Some reports claim that Danny grabbed a plastic bag and wrapped it around her neck and used it to strangle her to death. And the other reports indicate that Brent is the one that grabbed the plastic bag that he placed over her head and suffocated her to death. Well, these plastic bags are reusable. Maybe it, maybe it was box wine. I'm thinking it might have been box wine. Because that's in a bag. That's in a plastic bag inside the box. <laughs> that is, ooh, you're on to something. They're like, hey, we got to recycle, man. Yeah. So pop open that box. Yes. Depending on which account is true, either Brent or Danny exited the van first. Then when Pamela fell limp, the one who used the plastic bag joined the first one. After a few minutes... Danny went back to the vehicle and peered inside. When he was convinced she was dead, he removed her from the van and carried her some distance away from where they had been parked and placed her body on the ground. That's when Danny told Brent he had just seen a police car drive by and Brent turned and ran away. I would fuck this shit him out. I would do the same. I just got done carrying a fucking dead body. Yeah. Or, you know, having a dead body. Uh, Yeah. If you see a cop, I'm gone. I'm gone. According to Danny, he really saw the cruiser. He really saw the cruiser, and the officer stopped and asked to see his ID. He then ran Danny's name, and when nothing came back, he simply let the man leave. He looked fine. He didn't look like he would do that, you know. He doesn't look. He doesn't look very murdery. Yeah. Because he's convict, right? Yeah, he's he a is. He, he has a record. And they found nothing. Nothing. But he's from here, and they were killing here. On yeah, the hand. That's, that's, I think that's the reason. And if you if you're from here and you kill here, they go. You're that, that's that's fine. Just go on your merry way. You're good. So, <laughs> the events that followed the college student's death. When it comes to the following series of events, the various accounts I found were somewhat contradictory and confusing. I've taken most of the ones I could find and compared them all and tried to piece them together as best as I could in an effort to clarify them for you. Reports indicate that he apparently saw the very same patrol officer a total of four more times before he arrived back at his trailer. According to a report from the Kalamazoo Gazette during that time, he and Brent lived in the same trailer together. Later that night, Brent called Danny and asked him to give him a ride home. Since we already know that Brent was a vagrant with a troubled home life, we also know that Danny had helped him find an alternate place to stay on occasion in a trailer owned by one of the older man's girlfriends. Therefore, when it comes to the specific part of the saga, it's not entirely clear where Brent wanted Danny to take him. I tried to sort through the articles and reports to narrow it down, but I wasn't successful. The next day, both Danny and Brent went back to where they had left the body because they wanted to take it to a more remote area. Return to the scene of the crime. That's fucking smart right there. <laughs> Done got away with it. Let's go Let's pick go her back. up again. Yeah. That way it wouldn't be discovered until much later. Wait a minute. They like beers. So maybe they went to go see her to crack a cold one. When they arrived, Brent noticed that she had two ropes wrapped around her neck that weren't there the night before. Who the hell's coming and violating their dead body? Okay, look. If you're the one who violated their dead corpse... God damn it, get your own Get your own, yeah. Bastards. Noticing that was a little concerning for Brent. Only a little. He could have sworn that he was the only one that had 
put one there and the second one wasn't there before he left the night before. Therefore, he thought Danny had placed the second one after he ran off. However, that somewhat somewhat small detail placed some doubt in the young man's mind about whether or not he could trust the man he considered to be a role model. I don't know. That's what did it for me. I just, you know, I wasn't sure before then. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All good and bad things must come to an end. Probably as a result of the mistrust that Brent had developed towards Danny... It wasn't long after they murdered Pamela when they drifted their separate ways and ended their partnership. However, before the two parted ways forever, Danny warned Brent what would happen if he ever talked to anybody about what the two of them had done. Remember, Danny, or remember, Brent, I've got spare ropes. (laughs) You're going to go after the six foot six guy. Of course. Yeah. I'm going to go after the big fucking giant of a kid. Yeah. It's not going to fucking happen. (laughs) nonetheless it appears to me that brent's guilt became too much for him to bear alone in september of 1972 he was talking to several street workers when he revealed his secret to them as it turned out one of those men happened to be a certified reliable informant with the police department i had a feeling it was going to be a cop but yeah that's close that's close (laughs) what happened next also had conflicting accounts in several of the sources I've found, so again, I'll share both sides and let you decide which one you want to believe. I don't know if I believe any of them, because these people are fucking crazy. Some sources state that Danny and Brent were both arrested at the same time on September 5th in connection with the double homicide of Linda and Claudia back in July. While the authorities were investigating that incident, They were taking a close look at the various gas stations within a certain radius from where the car had been discovered. During their close scrutiny of the service station on Sprinkle Road, where Danny was employed, they discovered that Danny had quite an interesting criminal record aside from the charges he'd acquired in Michigan. In 1967, he was arrested and convicted in a different state after he pointed a gun at a couple and threatened them with it. And then in 1968... Arrested, convicted, and sentenced to serve time in jail for his connection to a case involving the abduction of a 17-year-old student. While they were investigating Danny, they found out that Brent was at the station almost as much as Danny was. For that reason, they decided to bring them both down to the station for further questioning. At that point, the authorities weren't even aware that Pamela Fearnow was dead and they they were responsible. So the second version is that after Brent spilled his guts to the street workers, the informant went straight to the authorities to report to them what the kid had said. Then on the morning of September 5th, 1972, law enforcement officials apprehended him and took him down to the station for further questioning. The detectives hadn't been interrogating him for very long when he confessed to the extent of involvement regarding the murders they wanted to know about. When he was finished with that, he implicated his mentor as the other perpetrator involved. After receiving that information, the authorities went and arrested Danny that same night. However, the investigators weren't quite finished with Brent's interrogation. As they kept talking, the teenager continued to divulge more information. For instance, he relayed information to the detectives about what Danny had told him regarding the murder of Patricia Hawk, 
hawk. Are you talking hawk like the bird or hawk like a hawk and a loogie? <laughs> so keep in mind, at the time of Brent's initial confession, the authorities didn't ask questions about Pamela Fierno's death because they weren't yet aware that she had been killed. <clears throat> Even so, it appears as if Danny wasn't very discerning when it came to choosing who would be the one to stand beside him and commit murder. Personally, I think his major mistake was filling the position with a 15-year-old boy. But, I mean, that's just my unprofessional opinion. That's right. You don't send a boy to do a man's job. <laughs> he forgot a second piece of rope. Yes. <clears throat> when Brent went to court for his arraignment, James Hills was selected to be his attorney. I bet he didn't get out to go to his birthday party. That's what I was thinking, too, man. But, you know, he's not arfing it up like arfing did something. Yes. Hills went over what it would take for him to walk away from the mess he'd gotten himself into with the minimum punishment available. All he had to do was be forthcoming and truthful with the detectives and prosecutor whenever they came to question him. That's all. According to Hills, if Brent could do that, then as his attorney, he might be able to negotiate a plea bargain where the kid would only have to plead guilty to one count of second-degree homicide. After all, when it came to the death of Linda Clark, he alone was responsible for her actual death. He didn't have any help from Danny with that one. <clears throat> they had to get him for at least one. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. And he's still young enough, you know, you kind of plead, you kind of play to the, his youth. and Yeah. You know, you don't want to spend your whole life in prison yeah. kind of thing. You know, you'll get out in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> so, of course, man, this kid's fucking dumb as shit. He's going to, let me tell you a story. Gather around, kids. Gather around. Brent has a story for you. Yeah. Have we got the hot chocolate? Let's talk about murdering <laughs> and raping. Yeah. A plea of guilty to that lesser charge also meant that the boy would receive a lighter sentence that he would... If he took it all the way to trial or wound up being charged with second-degree murder for the death of Claudia Bidstrup. Each time he was questioned by anyone, Brent told them about how guilty he felt and haunted he was by what he and Danny had done to the girls. See, that's actually a smart move. If you show it shows remorse. remorse. Yeah. yeah. So everybody's going to take that into account. Yep. So that right there, whether it was legitimate or not, is a very, very smart tactic. So despite the remorse he appeared to have regarding the murders of Linda Clark and Claudia Bidstrup, Brent didn't offer them any information unless they asked him a direct question. For that reason, it wouldn't be until October 18th, 1972 that the authorities would find out where Pamela Fierno's body or remains were located. When Pamela's friends didn't see her or hear from her again after, she, after she'd left on August 5th and told them that she just had to run a quick errand, they filed a missing persons report on her the following day. What the fuck is with people in that state? Yeah. Hey, yeah, I'll be back as quick errand and fucking like a month later. Hey. We have a you remember that girl, Pamela? <laughs> Maybe we should call the cops. This is just suspicious because, you know, she should have been back by now. I mean, I believe in giving people time, but it's been like a month. So... We might, we might want to report that. Yeah. She's fucking Christ, Michigan. So, at that point, the authorities were aware that she was missing. However, since they were told she was getting a ride to run her errand by hitchhiking, they weren't totally convinced her disappearance was the result of foul play. 
Those Jesus Christ. Yeah. Fuck. Those who suspected she was murdered didn't even think her death was linked to Danny and Brent because they didn't have a body to tie it all together. By the time Brent told the authorities where they could find the college student's body, the only they only found her skeletal remains. However, they were able to make a positive identification using her jawbone. Being her remains were out by Morrow Lake, which happened to be under a mile from where Linda and Claudia's Opal Cadet had been found, they were convinced Brent and Danny were responsible. Makes sense. Finally, some, some good police work. Hmm, these might be connected. I don't know. <laughs> Everything matches up exact, so we better look into it closer. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. When, yeah. When the detectives questioned Brent about what happened to Pamela, he was quick to name Danny as the major player in her death. He even told them that it wasn't very long after her murder in August when he severed all ties he had with his former mentor. According to Brent, the reason he finally ended his partnership was with Danny was that the older man wanted his help stealing a car so they could relocate to Florida together. I told you, they want to go from the Florida of the U.S. to the real Florida. I mean, I could I could kill and rape, but you want me to steal a car and move to Florida? I yeah, can't do that. I yeah. got to draw the line somewhere, buddy. Yeah. That's I can't steal cars. That's that's, that's, that's just too much. Yeah. yeah that, yeah, it was the moving to Florida. Exactly. Look, man, I can't fight a shirt with my shirt on. I, yeah. Or with my shirt off, I have to keep it on. Yeah. A little self-conscious about that. Oh, nah, I can't. I I'm just, from Michigan. I'm, I'm going to burn in Florida. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, there's no, no fucking sunshine out here. So, yeah, I got to keep my shirt on. And that's illegal. Yeah. I'll go to jail for that. When Danny asked him to do this, he had a nagging feeling the man was going to make him the next victim. So he cut off all ties with him. He also reiterated the conversation he had with Danny when they first became friends regarding him being responsible for Patricia's death. With the entirety of Brent's confessions in hand, the authorities were ready to finalize their formal charges against Danny. Later that day, the older man heard his formal charges, which were four counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Patricia, Linda, Claudia, and Pamela. So, the battle of which court the teenager would be charged in. Being his client was still, still only 15 years old, Hills made every effort to have him charged in juvenile court. Technically, when it comes to trying a minor as an adult, the standard most courts go by is this. Ages 15 and under, the individual will be charged and tried in the juvenile court system. Ages 16 and 17, the individual will automatically be charged and tried in the adult court system. So he got lucky. Keep in mind that there are exceptions to every rule in life, and this particular rule is not the exception to that. Even so, I completely understand why Hills fought so hard to keep Brent's case in juvenile court. If the defense attorney won his arguments with the court, it wouldn't matter what charges Brent wound up facing in court. He wouldn't be incarcerated a day past his 21st birthday, at the latest. And at that point, his records would be sealed. However, if Brent was only charged and convicted on one count of second-degree murder, he more than likely would be released on the day he celebrated his 18th birthday. 
Then once he was 21 years old, his records would be permanently sealed. That law didn't change until after Craig Price was convicted on four counts of murder in the 90s more than a decade later. And we did. We featured Craig Price. I can't remember the episode number, but we did do him. Donald Burge, the prosecutor for Kalamazoo County, did what he could to make sure Brent was charged and tried in adult court. He filed a petition with the probate court asking that the defendant be remanded to adult court. With that petition, he cited his reasons for his request as the brutality in which the murders were committed. Which I could, I could see. It makes, it makes sense. I'm kind of interested in how they got him. He got juvenile or adult. The probate court approved Burge's request, mainly because Brent already had a criminal record that included charges of burglary burglary and car, car theft. So he'd already stolen cars. Well, maybe he saw the light and he said, car theft is wrong. Is bad, yes. That's a, that's a bad thing. I haven't tried murder yet. So, you know, don't know if that's good or bad. Car uh, theft, definitely bad. bad I got yeah. busted for that shit. And at least one of his prior convictions was a felony. As his client was transferred to the adult county jail facility where he would be held without bail, Hills submitted his appeal of the court's decision. Hills still had some hope that he would win his argument with the appeal. The reason why the topic caused such heated debates. At that particular time, this particular subject was a hot topic being debated in the state of Michigan. Hot topic is in a real topic, not the store, motherfuckers. Just saying. Because some of you dipshits out there be like, you mean like the store? Not the store. Yeah. Criminy. We get weird emails sometimes. <laughs> in fact, the Michigan Supreme Court was in the process of reviewing and deciding whether or not it should change its policies regarding juvenile waivers. Especially since there were so many gray areas surrounding the topic, specifically regarding the constitutionality of their current policies. The way Michigan's laws were written at the time, there was no set guidelines in place that could be used to determine which offenders could be waived to adult court and which ones couldn't. That argument was what Hills was hoping would be the deciding factor that salvaged his client's case and he would be tried in the juvenile system. However, there was also another concept in regards to juvenile waivers being considered by the Michigan Supreme Court. The concept in question was this. If an offender was tried and convicted in Michigan's juvenile system, they could not be incarcerated past the age of 19. As a result of that particular concept, the state wanted more tangible guidelines regarding juvenile waivers. Michigan law, as they read at the time, Brent was charged for his crimes, left the decision of a juvenile waiver in the hands of the presiding judge. Not to mention, said judge's ruling could be technically decided with the flip of a coin, or best two out of three rounds of rock, paper, scissors. I've made that decision with a few chicks I've dated. (laughs) Flip of a coin. Doesn't always come out too good. I'm just saying. saying. They came out heads. Sometimes you get heads, and you're like, mm, that's bad heads. That's bad heads. Teeth, man. Watch the teeth. Therefore, some cases should be the court. Therefore, some cases should the court decide against granting a juvenile waiver couldn't be treated reasonably if the offender was only going to be in the system for under five years. In other words, the argument in the Michigan Supreme Court at that particular time wasn't specifically the principle behind juvenile waivers. 
It was about the fact that there was a serious problem with its lack of standards in place to formally guide the current principle. From the moment Danny Rains was arrested and received his formal charges, he maintained that he had, he didn't kill anybody. and He was not a murderer. However, while he was in county jail, he was placed in a maximum security cell. The reason the jail officials increased his security level was that Larry was being held at the same county jail while he waited for his second trial to start. At that point, he hadn't changed his plea to guilty yet. So to keep them separated <laughs> for their protection... I saw right where you're going yeah. with that one there. <laughs> and the protection yeah. of their inmates... <laughs> They were both being held in max in a maximum security cell. Even so, one brother was placed in cell number one, and the other one was in cell number two. So they were right next door to each other. So Larry's back in there, right? Yes. That's awesome. It's like a little family reunion. Right. Hey, yeah, no problem. However, when it came to this pair of competitive brothers, Larry had an edge over Danny. Yeah, two more IQ points. Right. I don't know. They shared the last one. I work alone. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I'm the lone wolf. That's why my name is Monk Bucket <laughs> Steppenwolf. <laughs> Can't get over that shit. Goddamn. Not a magic carpet ride I want to take. <laughs> I don't mind the magic carpet ride. I'm not saying it has to be bald. It'd be a little bit of carpet. Cool. <laughs> I just don't want to die at the end. <laughs> I actually had Jake fucking cracking up because I don't know how we got. Oh, because I was doing the video for uh, Carla Homolka for mm-hmm. the YouTube channel. And I said, Dude, this chick's got a huge freaking bush, man. I, said, I don't mind fucking a little bit of hair. You trim that shit up. Like, if you drop your pants, I hear welcome to the jungle. And then he dies. He's over there <laughs> fucking dying. True, man. Drop, drop them pants, and I started getting fucking, you know, like and like animals. And do you need a machete? Yeah, it's like um, <laughs> yes, they definitely need to wema whack that shit down, man. Because like, mm, I'm brave, but that's scary. So trim that shit down. Is what I'm saying. You see, unlike Larry, Danny would not back down under the pressure of the prosecution or the public. Every chance he had, he was very vocal when it came to his claims of innocence. No matter what he personally proclaimed, the first of Danny's two trials was for the murder of Patricia Hawk. Jury selection took place on February 15th of 1973, and the official proceedings started on February 16th. Brent was the primary witness being called by the prosecution to testify against Danny. Even though Brent wasn't present during the murder... Nor had he even known Danny at the time he allegedly committed the murder. Nonetheless, his testimony about what the defendant had supposedly described to him was allowed into evidence. Not to mention his testimony matched up with the physical evidence the prosecutor called into evidence. So many evidences. Dave Hager, a reporter for the Kalamazoo Gazette, was in the courtroom and covering the proceedings... When Brent gave his testimony to the court, Hager wrote, Reigns sat at the courtroom table. He smiled to himself and shook his head as if he couldn't believe what Coster was saying. Danny's ex-wife, Kathy, was even called to testify for the prosecution. She told the court that within a matter of days after she had heard about Patricia's murder, she was in the car with Danny and she noticed that he had a noticeable scratch on his face. 
He said that he received the injury when he was helping his mom and stepfather tear down a garage. However, he admitted that when the incident happened, it it scared him. Danny even admitted that his mother talked to him about her suspicions that he was responsible for the death of the woman whose body was found at Tops. She's like, I know my son, yeah. She didn't even call it to ground him or anything. That's what gets me, like, hey, look, I know you're up to some nefarious shit. You're grounded for a week, motherfucker. He was a grown-ass man. Like, <laughs> Okay, look, let me tell you about my grandma, Pearly. She died when I was, like, in my 20s, and I was, I was great. I was in great shape. I was super fit. She was like, Five foot tall, even, and she may have weighed a whole 95 pounds. That said, she could look me in the eyes, and she has. James Scott Alexander, and my butthole puckers up. Yeah. Like, just like that. That's tight. Yeah. You know, I felt fear. I'm afraid of my grandma today, and she's been dead for more than 25 years. She'd still, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I fuck up too bad, She's going to come come back back for you. She will look at me and go, not today, motherfucker. And she'll kick my ass. I know that. Yeah. So mommy can put him in in check real quick. True. Back him alongside his fucking head because I don't think he got enough ass weapons. And say, hey, I know you're out there killing people and raping people, you little fuck. Knock Knock it off. off. Yeah. During the conversation, she stressed the importance of him needing to have a good alibi for the time of the murder. (laughs) That's a supportive mom right yeah. there. That's awesome. Why not, why not solve the problem by, give, by, by enabling him? Good yeah. job, mom. That's, that's fucking great parenting right there. In an effort to undermine her testimony, Rain's attorney tried to get her to tell the courts that she had gone to see a psychiatrist and that she was fond of smoking weed. Okay, hold on. God yeah. damn Because Jake and I talked about all the propaganda from when like we were growing up uh, with all the commercials and shit like that. Yeah. Because you're... You just turned 40, right? Yeah. Okay, so you might not remember. Some got eight we had and... those things. Oh, Still, yeah. we oh, went through the... Shoot. Yeah, and like the after-school specials. <laughs> yeah. I was telling, actually, Jacob's was telling him to watch the movie Reefer Madness. Yes. The one from the uh, 60s, and then watch the remake of it, which is even funnier. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the marijuana's made me do it. That's why I had to kill people. My favorite was... Jamie Lee Curtis jumping out of the window and dying because she took acid. That was my favorite after school special. <laughs> my favorite commercial for the pot. For the pot. Jesus, <laughs> you know, for the marijuanas. It has two kids. I was telling Jake about this just yesterday, so it comes up really great. And they're in like their dad's study, right? Uh, the one kid's dad's study. He goes, Have you ever tried marijuana cigarettes? He goes, I never have. So we see him take a toke, right? And then. Uh, like two seconds later, he's got a shock. He's like, Billy, what are you doing? I can't die. I'm really high. And you're no. And he goes blank, and you hear a gunshot. And he goes, marijuana kills. Yes. That is one of my favorites. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to deal with any reefer heads. Don't go crazy. Yeah. Because you'll kill everybody. You're on the reefer. And be like, how does this gun work again? I am so high. I can't quite figure this out. Right. And be like, it's all the way over there. You get it. No, you get it. You're closer. Yeah. I'd rather get up and get a snack instead. Yeah. So 
The pathologist who performed the autopsy on Patricia, Dr. Daniel Glaster, was called to testify. He told the court that Patricia's cause of death was the result of a stab wound she received to her back. The wound inflicted was, quoted, so deep it had gone nearly through her entire body. He also pointed out in his report where he documented the numerous bruises he found on different areas of her body and her jaw. Then he talked about the noticeable ligature marks that she had around her neck and wrists. Did they talk about two ropes? Not yet. Oh, okay. This is the lady killed in the parking lot. Gotcha, gotcha. I just wonder if they left two ropes there, too. I mean, they got, they got rope to spare, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. For the future serial killers out there, remember, man, rope costs money and you can reuse that shit. Don't leave it behind. Don't leave it. What the hell's wrong with you? Recycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David Metzger, a member of the crime lab, was called to the stand. His sole purpose for being called to test in to testify was to tell the court that he had found traces of DNA evidence on Patricia's panties. I like the panties. <laughs> More I'm spe- wearing some right now. I feel pretty. <laughs> I do. This caresses everything. Right. <laughs> More. <laughs> More specifically, the DNA evidence he collected from the panties was semen. Been there. Yeah. Then the prosecutor called a guard from the jail to stand to give a testimony. He claimed he found a note in Danny's toilet during a routine routine cell search back in January. Because you can use those to send messages from one level of the prison to another. I missed that. What? Toilets. So he found the note in the toilet. Yeah. That's a shitty message. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm pumped. Yeah. (laughs) That was a dad joke, 100%. I got to throw those in every once in a while. The note had been torn up, but when the pieces were reassembled, they were able to decipher what it said. Can you imagine a guy having to reassemble toilet notes? That is a. Like, who did you piss off to get that job? To get that job. For real, man. The note? According to him, (laughs) the note was written in Danny's handwriting, which would make sense since he was the only one in there. That would make sense. Yeah. It's like, good job, buddy. Good job. Uh, And indicated he wanted someone to find a woman that was willing to lie for him. She also had to be willing to provide him with a solid alibi for the night that Patricia was killed. And maybe as a side note, maybe a little handy, Jay. I've been in here for a little while. That is that costs extra. In Thailand, yes, it does. <laughs> the note stated that the note stated that he would pay the woman for her services. The note further went on to say that she had to tell people that when they met to spend time together that evening, he arrived to meet her with a bandage on his face. That way, he was able to have a witness backing up his story about having the scratch when he was in the car with Kathy. His only stipulation was that the woman who was given the task had to be strong so that she wouldn't be easily intimidated by the authorities. So he needs a woman named Bertha. Yeah. Very German. You know, and he was in the car with me. We were making the loves. It was fantastic. No, I see that. Yeah. Was that an Italian one? 
I probably pass. I probably was. I don't fucking know. <laughs> There's not enough coffee in me. <laughs> Because I'm thinking of the Jews. <laughs> Is that God. the reason? <laughs> Seriously, smile when you're trying to make a German accent. That's, That's what I usually do when I'm doing my uh, my Nazi. Uh, because yes. I'm going to kill you now. Uh, yeah. I, that's actually how I got it. I was I was watching um, a movie and uh, a Nazi officer was questioning some Jews, and uh, and he was so polite and always smiling. No, please tell me. What is what is your, your the rest of the people hiding? Don't omit nothing. Yeah, you know, things like that. And it's like, oh, I see how you got that. Okay, yeah, because you're fucking, you're nice and you're polite, and you're gonna fucking gas chamber them, and not gas chamber them like I do to Dawn, like because that's too much fiber. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Okay, so we're pretty far into this one. Let's we're close. We're on page nineteen of twenty-eight pages. Holy shit! This is gonna be like a fucking. I guess we gotta do this one as a three-parter. We could. We're gonna have to do this. Yeah. So it appears as if the jury didn't buy anything that he is he or his attorney were trying to sell them in regards to his alibis and excuses. When they returned from the del- deliberation, they found him guilty on both counts he was facing, murder and the perpetration of rape and second-degree murder. The judge ordered him to serve two life sentences, both without the possibility of parole. So we can stop there, because that's right before the second trial begins. That's probably a good idea. All right. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at... Uh, Brutal Nation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Let's see what else. Check us out on Medium and Crime Beat on Medium, where we get your blogs. Just type in at Brutal Nation and we should pop up. Get all the information without any of my bullshit because we can tell that I've been full of bullshit for this fucking episode. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And we will see you guys tomorrow. Bye bye. Say bye, Laura. Bye. It's okay, yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. Bye.